had to stay in and um, I had to hand wash my dresses, my, my school dresses and socks and panties, right? And, um, and I remember always having this sense when I was washing them by hand that it was never going to come out quite as clean as what my mum would have done for me at home with the washing machine. Even if my mum had washed by hand, it still would have been a better outcome than what I was going to achieve with my very inexperienced little hands uh, washing my school dresses. And um, as I remembered that, I am so struck by the fact that as the church of God, we have access to the great washing machine, the perfect washing machine in God, right? Like, why would we want to try and fiddle around washing our stuff by hand when we have this beautiful Father who can take our stuff, our literal dirty laundry, right? Our dirty laundry, and He can put it into this perfect washing machine that has modes. It has modes for fragiles. It has modes for woolens. It has modes <laughs> for heavy stains, right? So if we, are, if we as a church are thinking about being the bride of Christ, the ones who bring His healing and His hope to the world, we have access to that machine. Let's help people to come into the church where they can take that stuff to the God the Father to bring healing, to bring wholeness, to clean us. So that is really what I always trust God for when I'm in a context like this. Um, and I just want to say before I start, if you don't mind, um, I would love the leadership team here to stand for two minutes. Do you, can you do that? Those of you who are just on the leadership team here at this church, would you mind standing for two minutes? Great. So... I want you to look around and I want to commend these women to you, okay? While I might be the speaker today, these women carry you in their hearts. They have been contending for you spiritually over these last couple of weeks. The prayers that have been prayed on behalf of each of you and of this gathering have been immense. Yeah. And so as much as I am the spokesperson, I happen to be the one with the microphone today, I want you to look around and I want you to see that God is birthing in this community a beautiful gift of mothering, Amen. a gift of these women as your safe place, of this church and this community as your safe place. And that is what God has laid on their hearts. And I want to commend them to you that I can say to you, you can go to these women because I've had access to their prayers. I've been able to see what they've been praying. I've been able to hear what they've been believing for for this day. And so you can look at these people and while you are precious and protected to God, you are also precious to and protected by these women. They are contending for you in the heavenlies. They are fighting on your behalf. And so you can trust them. And this, I believe, is going to be a beautiful place, an oasis, a safe place that God is going to use in this community. And so you can lean into that and trust that God is going to equip. All right. So thank you for sitting for that. And um, as, we, as I was preparing, I, um, I felt just to kind of revisit some of what we know Scripture says about who we are and what God sees us as. But um, as we were listening to that song, Reckless Love, you know, we think to ourselves, gosh, it's such a beautiful song. I mean, it really is an anointed, incredible song. And we kind of forget that a lot of that's from Scripture, okay? It is from the Word of God. It's not just a made-up song that's poetic and sounds pretty. Um, and one of the Scriptures that I felt led to um, in terms of preparing for today was in Isaiah 43, and it will come up on the slides a bit later. But I'm going to read it to you now just because I want you to hear the heart of God as we, as we start. And it says this, he, uh, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. 
For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are my precious and you, and since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And I just wanted you to hear that's God's heart for us. He will ransom us. Okay? So, you know, like I've always thought to myself, like if you were to like be like working for the government and you get kidnapped, right? You kind of wonder, are they going to pay my ransom? You know what I mean? Like you're not really on potential. Okay? But I want you to know that God promises in scripture, he says he will pay the ransom for you. He will give up nations for you. Okay? He will pay whatever price it is to be reunited with you and to have you as his own. And you are his and you are loved. And that is the context of everything I say today. And so as we go through, I just felt to write, just revisit and remember, like, what does God say of us? And so we'll move through some of those. Um, you can just slip through them off and on. Okay, they'll kind of go through. All right, the first one is you are loved. Okay, right, Jeremiah 31, we see you are loved. Okay, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Okay, the second one. You are protected, Psalm 91, verse 1. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You are holy and without blemish. He says at the bottom there, in the, in the, at the end of verse 27, having no, he will present her as having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless, speaking of the bride of Christ, the church, that's us. Okay? You are precious. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. Yeah. And then you are seen and heard. Psalm 34 verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. You are known. Psalm 139, 1-2. to you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You are chosen. Okay, and that is from Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Okay, then we are. You are never forsaken. From Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God is with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. And then the last one, you are his. From that chapter I just read in Isaiah, Isaiah 43 verse 1. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Okay? So this is what scripture says. This is what it says to be true. And I have, as a believer in Jesus Christ, chosen to believe this word. Okay? So I have chosen to believe what is in this scripture. Yet somehow in my humanness, I struggle to remember that it's true, right? There's an intellectual understanding so often for many of us. We get this stuff. We've read it in scripture. We've heard it in songs. Yet sometimes it doesn't sink to that deeper level where we know that we know that we are loved, precious, known, seen, chosen by him. And so why is that? Why is it that we struggle so much to let that truth land? Okay? And the answer of that is a very, very simple one. And it lies in Genesis 1, 2, 3. Okay, all right, in Genesis 1, right, if you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. I'm going to be flipping around a little bit in there. 
But in Genesis 1 to 3, we see the beautiful creation miracle. So in Genesis 1, we see God creating. Um, he creates day and night, water and sky, land and sea, plants, animals, and then obviously mankind. Okay, so he has this beautiful creation ministry, uh, the creation miracle that we see in the beginning of Genesis. Okay, this perfect world that he that he that he forms, and he forms most of it with his voice, his mouth. He speaks it, right? Yet I absolutely love from the outset he shows his heart in such a beautiful way, and he forms man with his hands. You know, he he he, he could have formed us with his mouth. He could have just said, be, you know, come to being. Yet he did it. He got down and he made us from mud. You know, like his hands got dirty. Like, and he actually got involved in our making and our fashioning. And I just love that, what it shows about the heart of God. At creation, he was involved in mankind in a way that he wasn't involved in the rest of creation. And I just love what that shows us about his, about his nature. And he, he shows us that he's willing to get messy in his engagement with us. You know, he doesn't just speak. He gets messy with us. And Jesus shows us this again and again in his ministry as well, that he actually is willing to engage with humanity in very real and sometimes quite messy ways. Then we see when um, Jesus heals the blind man, one of the things he does, and he heals many people by just speaking or laying his hands on them. But in some cases, he spits in the sand and then he puts mud on the man's eyes. You know, you think, so why? You know, he didn't have to do that. He's all powerful. And the centurion in the story with the centurion, he recognizes that. And he says, you can but speak the word and my servant will be healed. Okay. So, so he could and God, Jesus could have. Yet sometimes he chose to get really intimately messy with humanity. You know, and I just love that because it shows us his nature in such a clear way. You know, from the get-go, from the beginning of creation, his engagement with us has been real, messy, intimate, close. Okay, that is what he, and that is how he engaged with us. And then, obviously, everything goes south, all right, in Genesis 3, okay? So, in Genesis 3, we obviously see this is where, where Eve is tempted, okay, by Satan, and she then eats of the fruit. She hands it to Adam, who is with her, and he then also eats of the fruit. And it, for me, is one of the most absolutely devastating, devastating script, like scriptures in the entire Bible. It is in Genesis 3, verse 7. And it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And then the thing that they do, what we do, our hand washing, right? So they sewed the fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. You know? And you realize in that moment, God's perfection was interrupted. It was disrupted. Why? Because their eyes were opened. The knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, shame and guilt were burst. Okay. Shame and guilt were never supposed to be there. With the knowledge of good and evil came shame and came guilt. And what was our first response to shame and guilt? Cover up. Okay. So how often do we still do that? Right? When we've sinned, when we've messed up, when we've gotten ourselves into not a great situation, we try to hide it. That's our first step. We try to cover up, right? So we try to make it look good on the outside, okay? So let's say that we're struggling in our marriages or we're struggling in a relationship. On the outside, when we're with friends and family or whatever, we try to make it look good, okay? So we try to cover it. We do, we, we do a fig leaf thing, okay? And then obviously what happens is that then it says that God then comes walking, okay? Which I absolutely love. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And that was, they realized that even their efforts, their vain attempts to cover themselves with fig leaves wasn't enough. And so then they hid, okay? And they hid away. But the thing that strikes me about this scripture that I, I find absolutely phenomenal is the fact that God wasn't taken by surprise. 
Yeah. He didn't not know that they had eaten of the tree of, of, of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't that we, we understand from a theological point of view, he, he, he is all-knowing, which means he knows exactly what just happened, okay? Yet he still comes, as he probably always did, okay? In that evening, he normally came in the cool of the day to connect with them, to be in relationship with them. From his side, nothing had changed. Sure. Right? Sure. He came, he still chose relationship. He, it wasn't, he didn't get there and go, oh, crikey, you know, like something went wrong, okay? And he goes, where are you? And that's when they answer. And they then say, they say here in, in verse 10, so in verse 9, God says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, and I, I I have known Jesus my whole life. I was saved as a little girl, baptized in the Holy Spirit under water when I was nine and ten, so I've known Jesus my whole life. But there is not a day that I can read this scripture without my heart absolutely breaking. And he says, he says, yeah, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? And isn't that still the story? Who tells us that we are naked? When we come to Jesus Christ, when we accept him as Lord and Savior, we do so knowing that we're unworthy, right? That's why we come to Jesus. Yet, within two, three weeks of our salvation story, we start feeling unworthy, and we don't go to Jesus because we feel unworthy. That same lie is perpetuated now. Who told you that you were naked? Who tells us that we are naked? The enemy of our soul who uses shame and guilt yeah. to separate us from the God who loves us, from the God who is not intimidated by our mess, who is not intimidated by our sin. He is not put off by us, okay? He, in Psalm 103, verse 8, I think it's the next slide there. I think it's 103, is it? Yeah, yeah 13 to 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. Okay, and I lean on this scripture so many times in my walk with God. When I mess up and I fail and I'm getting things wrong, I remind myself that he knows that I am dust, okay, and that I'm going to mess it up. But he chooses relationship with me knowing my nature, knowing that I am dust, knowing that at some point he's going to get his hands messy in his relationship with me, okay? Yet he chooses me, yet he still wants to be there with me. You know, and that has been his heart and his story from the beginning. Yet as 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 mankind we fall, and I would I would almost hazard to say, as womankind even more so, okay, into this place and this trap of this shame and guilt that separate us from the one who knows all of it anyway. He knows. Yet our shame and our guilt make us first try to fix it. So we first try our own human methodology to try and somehow make it look good. And then when that doesn't work, we start to hide, okay? But the thing is, what happens is that very often when we hide from God, we start hiding from his bride, from the church as well. And we end up isolated and lost. We end up in a place where we cannot find healing, cannot find hope, because we are so ashamed and so locked in our guilt and our shame that we aren't able to go to the very place that has the perfect mode on the washing machine to fix it all, okay? All right. And so when we talk about shame and guilt, so just so you understand the difference between the two, Shame is the feeling of, I am bad, right? Guilt is, I have done something bad, right? Okay, so there's two slightly different emotions. The one is usually connected to an action, but 
But shame, why it's such a powerful thing is it's connected to our sense of self. Yeah. It's on the inside of us, right? We feel like the inside of us is unacceptable and dirty, okay? And that is the feeling that tends to separate us because we cannot clean out ourselves, can we? We can't get inside there and rip out all the icky stuff, okay? And that is what makes, we can try to avoid guilt a little bit because we can try to do the right thing, okay? But shame is on the inside, and it's something that we can't get out of, us, of ourselves. And so that is why it's such a powerful thing. And even from a therapeutic point of view, when we work in therapy, we talk about the fact that shame is a little bit of a last frontier in terms of, of therapeutic work. You know, it's hard to deal with, it's hard to work with, you know, because it isn't an easily resolved thing. But what I would say to you is that he knew exactly who you were at creation, right? He made you from dust. When the fall happened, he still came to be in relationship with us. And the redemption plan is set in motion almost immediately, where he now has a plan in place so that humanity will be brought back to him through Jesus Christ. That happens immediately. The redemption plan is set in place. And then it says there, um, so it's, what's also so beautiful, such a beautiful picture of God's heart toward us, is it then says that he made skins for them and he covered them. Okay? And I thought that was so beautiful. They had made fig leaf co coverings that just were not going to cut it. You know, like they were really like a little bit wonky and a little bit soft and we're going to probably die and go crinkly and crawl okay, and fall off, right? So instead he made, he made for them coverings of skin, you know. He didn't have to do that, yet he did. Why? To cover their shame. He understood that they couldn't be with him because of their shame. So he covered them for that. And I would say to you that Jesus is the covering for that. He covers us with Jesus Christ so that we can be with him again, so that we don't have to face that feeling of nakedness in front of him. Okay. And so that is where we are now. And it's really important for us to understand, in the same way as God came to them, he comes to us. Right? And so no matter your circumstances right now, no matter whether you've made some bad calls, whether you've been put in a situation that's outside of your control, those things that cause you to feel guilt and shame, he still comes. He still comes. I have no doubt that every single woman that is here is destined and called by him to be here today. Why? Because he's coming in the garden saying, where are you? Where are you? Okay? He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to connect with you. Okay? He wants to see you in spite of all of those things that you think make you unacceptable. Why? Because he sees us with the covering of Jesus Christ, those skins are covering us now. We don't have to feel ashamed because Jesus is that. He has covered us. He has covered our shame. Okay, and so that is where we are. And so we see so often that in scripture he reiterates that with humanity. So even now you might be saying, gosh, it's a great idea. You know, like it's true. I can see what Trish is saying, but that's not my story. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my situation. You don't know the awful things that I have seen or said or, or been a part of or what my situation is now. So I'm just going to take you through a couple of examples in scripture just to remind you that there is surely no sin or situation that you are in that God has not encountered before. All right? And showing this redemptive heart towards. Okay? So I'm just going to give you some examples. Right. So we've got a classic one in Abraham. Right? He gives his wife to another man and lies. Okay? He says, she is not my wife, she's my sister. Okay? This poor, I would have been so cross. Can you imagine? I don't know. I, I've, often thought of, I've often thought of Sarah in that situation. How she managed to not absolutely lose it with 
Abraham is another question. So there's a there's a really good example of, of a woman I should learn from, Sarah, who, who went back to her husband, I think forgave him by the looks of things. Okay? So he lies, you know, he lies, outwardly, openly lies. Okay? But God still blesses, follows, protects him thereafter, right? A David commits adultery, right, with Bathsheba, then murder. Just on top of that, just because adultery wasn't bad enough, let's now add murder also. Okay? So he does that. What does he do? He redeems. God redeems him. He sends Nathan the prophet. David's heart immediately turns, which is obviously why God talks about David as a man after his own heart. He understood repentance. He understood forgiveness. Like no one else really in the Old Testament did. And so he does. He immediately repents. But God still sent Nathan to him. You know, like he still came to be back in relationship with David after adultery and murder, right? Idolatry. We see it throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Israel and Judah were both constantly engaged in idolatry, putting other things ahead of God. And some, when we talk about idolatry, you must understand that the practices of those idol worshippers were horrific. Okay? It's not like they just had some statues on a corner that they used to pray to. Okay, those, those idolatrous practices were horrific. Okay, we're talking about babies being sacrificed into fire, buried in foundations of buildings. We're talking about open displays of, like, of, of sex on platforms in a, in a town center. Okay, it's, it was proper. Okay, it was like, so when we talk about God redeeming them from idolatry and continuing to draw them back to himself, we're not talking about mild little bits of sin. Okay, we're talking about flagrant, like really openly sinful living, okay? Yet, he redeems again and again and again. He calls them back to himself again and again and he makes a way, okay? Prostitution. We see Rahab. She is a prostitute and he plucks her out of her situation and he lands her slap bang in the middle of Jesus' lineage. Okay? Redemptive. Redemptive God, okay? We see with Hagar, where she has Ishmael, she eventually gets herself to a tree and she leaves the child under the tree and she's so helpless and hopeless at that point she's suicidal and she just says god i can't watch this child die and she just wants to give up okay depression hopelessness suicide elijah same okay elijah reached a point where he said i just want to die i've had enough just have it done with it okay and what did he do he sent angels to minister to them in that place redeemed connected forgiven held provided for protected okay all right Stealing, both Matthew and Zacchaeus, okay, were both tax collectors, right? So that was bad enough that they were tax collectors, but they also were known for skimming money off the, their people, right? So stealing, right? That was, they were both redeemed by God, chosen by him, okay, in relationship with Jesus, okay? Then just generally being unclean. You know, how many of us would say we just feel unworthy or feel unclean? We look at the story of the woman with the issue of blood, Okay? Now back then, again, from a cultural point of view, being, it being when you were on your period, so when you were bleeding, you were unclean. If you came into contact with anyone, that person was unclean. Okay? So generally, people avoided you, you know, like when you were, and you avoided others, right? And so this woman, for, to bleed for years, meant that she had no contact, no human contact. She couldn't be in a relationship. She couldn't be in the community. She couldn't participate. She wouldn't be able to go to the marketplace, to the watering hole, to the well, to anything. Okay? That was her story. And Jesus redeems, right? Heals, redeems, okay? We've got the leper, again, really not a person you want to touch, right? Okay, and again, if you had been in contact culturally with someone that had leprosy or disease of the skin, you were unclean. Yet Jesus, what does he do? Heals it, 
okay, right? And not just once, a couple of times, he heals lepers, right? And then the Samaritan woman, she's another amazing example. Samaritans were hated and reviled by Jews in general, so the fact that he talked to her at all was fairly revolutionary, all right? But then he also was speaking to her in the context of the fact that she was unmarried, she had, had multiple partners, she was now living with a man who was not her husband, which again, for us nowadays, isn't as uncommon. Back, back then, was something that was hugely inappropriate and very unclean, okay? But again, what does he do? Redeems, connects in relationship with her, okay? Demon possession, right? Mary Magdalene, she was possessed by demons, okay? He engaged with her, she washed his feet. He didn't shy away from her because she was dirty and she was unclean. He allowed her the intimacy of washing his feet and drying it with her hair, making himself probably unclean also in the process, right? If anyone had been watching, okay? All right? Death, Lazarus. I absolutely love John 11 where they talk about Lazarus who's dead in the tomb. And, uh, and, and Martha says, he says, open the tomb. And she goes, oh, it's going to be, a, it's going to smell bad. It's been a few days. It's going to smell bad. And he's not the least bit put off by the smell bad. Okay? Because why? He shows himself to not mind getting physically and like emotionally a little bit messy with humanity. Right? Okay? The things that are distasteful to us. Jesus shows us again and again, God shows us again and again that he is not about those things, okay? Betrayal, right? Judas. Jesus walked with Judas closely for three years. He washed Judas' feet. He fed Judas by hand. He broke bread and fed him. He did those things with Judas. And he knew him to be the betrayer. He knew that that man would hand him over. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus. He did not know that that was coming. Okay? Then we also know Peter disowns Jesus. Again, Jesus knew it would happen. Yet he loved, he restored. Okay? Peter, afterwards, when Jesus comes back and he's risen again after resurrection, he restores Peter. He heals him, brings him back to relationship with him. Okay? Then the last one in his human life before was the thief at the crucifixion, right? Now, when we talk about the thieves at the crucifixion, we're not talking about the kind of thieves that just kind of stole a thing, okay? There was a different word for that, right? These thieves were a particularly nasty variety of thief, okay? So these were kind of revolutionary thieves, all right? So they used to kill, right? So they were some violent criminals, right? You weren't just crucified, you know, because you stole a thing. These guys were violent criminals. So they were, again, murderers, thieves, they were, were quite a nasty bunch of people that he was, that he was um, crucified with. Yet, in that moment, at the end, redeemed, okay? forgiven, restored to relationship with him. So, I'm hoping that in telling you those stories, that it will show you that there is nothing in your story okay, that he has not seen before and shown us his heart towards. And that is that he chooses relationship even in those circumstances. Now, some of these were things that these people had done. Some of them were things that these people had, were, it was not their fault. It was something that happened to them, all right? And it's the same for us. Sometimes we've done some stuff that have separated us from God. Other times we are in a situation that's separating us from God that's not our fault. It's nothing that we've done to cause that separation. But I can tell you that there is nothing that has yet been that God has not already seen and shown us his redemptive heart toward him. Okay, all right. And so we see illustrated Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. Do you want to flick to that one for me? 
convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor the future, nor any powers, heart nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that is the heart. Okay? That is the heart of God. And I'm hoping that as you see the heart of God, you're going to feel the heart of these women, this church, this community. Okay? And as you feel safe with him, feel safe here. Because this is his bride. His bride is like him. His bride is the same as him. Okay? Not quite the same. We don't quite get it just as right as he does. Okay? Right? But this place is a safe place. This place is a place where you can bring the broken, you can bring the messy, and bring it here for healing with him. There is nothing here that you are unable to bring to this place and to God the Father for redemption and restoration and healing. Okay? So I'm going to say some of those things that are unspeakable, right? Rape, abuse, violence, sin, prostitution, sexual sin, multiple partners, whatever you think, drug abuse, substance abuse. He's seen all of them. Lying, <laughs> stealing, whatever those things might be, he's seen them. And his response in scripture is very clear. We repent and we restore End of story. Yeah. It was a finished work on the cross. Yeah. A finished work on the cross. Right? And this walking through here on this earth, that's a process. Right? We're going to mess up. We're going to do stuff that's not great. We're going to make mistakes. But the work of the cross, the redemptive work of the cross, that was a done thing. That is a done thing. Right? And so we're going to still walk it out. But the done thing, when we come to Jesus Christ, when we reach out for him, it's finished. Okay, And so, even now, although he had to remove us from Eden, humanity had to be removed, mankind had to be removed from Eden, he wants now to be in relationship with us. And that's why he made a way through Jesus Christ. Okay, And so for those of you who are already saved and have reached out for grace, that is amazing because these things are all true. Okay, No matter what happens, the finished work of Jesus is done. Okay? For those of you who have yet to give your hearts to Jesus, I hope that you know that this is the God that we're talking about. This is the Him that we're talking about when we say that the God of the heavens and earth loves you. This is what we're talking about. We're not talking about some airy fairy person in the, in the sky who doesn't know good and bad. He's seen all of it and He chooses you anyway. Right. So I want you just to close your eyes for me. And if you feel comfortable, I want you just to open your hands in your lap. And I'm just going to go back to what I had said earlier. And I want you just to let these truths drop into your heart. Drop into your soul and just nurture you and nourish you in those places where maybe there's brokenness, where there's shame, where there's guilt, and where there's separation from God. You are loved. You are protected. You are holy without blemish. You are precious. You are seen and heard. You are known inside and out. You are chosen. You are never forsaken. You are his. 
Father God, I just lift up these beautiful women to you, to these daughters of yours. I thank you, God, for your heart towards them. I thank you, Lord, that there is not a place that they have been or will go where you will not be there with them. I thank you that you have shown us from the beginning of creation your heart to be in relationship with us, to journey with us through the hard stuff, through the dirty stuff, through the messy stuff. Thank you, Lord, that you have shown us that you are not going to be kept away from us by a measly thing like sin. You are not going to be separated from us because we are no longer with you in paradise. You just sent your son to make a bridge. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, God, that your heart is one of relationship and redemption. And Lord, I pray that for this church, this new season that you take this church into, that there would be a community of safety here, a community of protection, a place where your heart would be revealed to every single person who walks through that door. Lord, I pray for an increase of capacity in this church for bringing in the hurting and the broken. God, I pray even now that there are women here that you are gonna call to beautiful ministries, beautiful restoration ministries, seeing people healed and restored to you. Thank you, God, for your heart for every single person here, for every family represented, for every child represented here. And Father God, I thank you that you are in every single one of these women's stories. You are in the details of their stories. You are in the dark places. You are in the places that are pretty and that make sense. But you're also there in the places that are messy and hard. And that you will never, ever leave us nor forsake us there. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za and for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 61 to join us for in-person services, visit us at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.